0: On today's episode of the SSPX podcast, we'll look at one of the most common objections to the Catholic faith, especially coming from Protestants. The idea that Catholics pray to Mary and the saints instead of going directly to Jesus. After all, scripture does say to go to him and the Father. Why do Catholics insist on treating Mary like she's on equal footing with God by praying to her? We'll look at this objection, as well as the more broad concept of praying to the saints in this episode with Father David Sherry. You can find notes to all of these episodes at sspxpodcast.com apologetics, as well as all of our previous episodes. There as well, you can find a link to help support this project. This is free to listen to as well as all the resources we're posting, but if you can help with a one-time or a small monthly recurring donation, you'll be making sure that we can continue this work of producing good Catholic content on a regular basis. Now let's join Father Sherry for episode number 37 of the Apologetics series here on the SSPX Podcast. Well, Father Sherry, it is wonderful to have you back again for this apologetics series. And I was actually just looking back at the notes. This is the first time you've been on
1: this series. So thank you for joining us. Thank you very much for having me, Andrew. I'm very glad to be to be back on. And uh I am looking forward to the next series because cause, cause the so many series of SSBX podcasts and they've all been great. So uh, what what's next up your sleeve, I do not know.
0: Well, we have a couple little tricks. Uh, actually, by the time by the time this episode is out, we actually should be able to announce it. So we do have a kind of a shorter mini series coming out very soon. Okay, so I'm not we're not going to spoil it quite it. yet. But yeah. Um, so Father Sherry, again, for those who may not know you, uh, you are the District Superior of Canada. Is that correct, at least currently?
1: That is correct. Uh, absolutely. And um, I will be Uh, leaving my post at the end of the year and uh i will be succeeded by father larue who uh for many years has been the oh seminary rector at saint thomas aquinas seminary yes
0: great then i'll be moving to england well congratulations or i'm sorry we were chatting a little bit ahead of time and kind of (laughs) making that same joke earlier so uh but you you were stationed in england for a little bit earlier anyway right
1: um, I was actually, yep. I was stationed there before, and uh, I'll also be uh, uh, involved with the Apostles in Ireland, so um, so I'll be returning, oh, good. Uh, returning to my roots, so to speak.
0: Excellent. Well, that's great. That's a beautiful homecoming. Well, Father, today we wanted to talk with you about uh, one of the big topics that divides Protestants and Catholics and to to a lesser extent also divides, uh, atheist agnostics with Catholics. And and this is the idea of praying to the saints and the intercession of the saints, the blessed Virgin Mary, you know, praying to my patron saint, St. Andrew, et cetera. Um, how is this, I, I guess broadly I'll start with the question, how is this not, uh, worshiping false idols against, you know, the first of the commandments? Um, but where do you want to start with this discussion, father?
1: Yeah, I'd like to uh go a little wide first of all, Andrew, if if you allow me, uh just on the the nature of um the Protestant error regarding the uh the honour worship of the saints. Um I don't want to offend any Protestants because I know that uh you know there may be some listening in and watching and they may be entirely of good faith in, in what they think, but I just want to point out a little bit what a heresy is, because Protestantism is a heresy. And uh, a heresy is, in the words of G.K. Chesterton, it's your favorite Catholic dogma. In other words, a heretic is not somebody who sets out to say, you know, I'm going to uh, disbelieve what God has revealed. It's somebody who takes one part of the faith... And he detaches it from the whole of the faith. And then he turns this one thing into the uh, the be-all and end-all of the faith. So, for example, you could take somebody uh, who says, well, you think about God. God is all-knowing, which is true. And God is all-just, which is true. And then they conclude from that, Well, that means then that the sinner uh, is not going to have any mercy because God is all just, and moreover, he knows in advance uh, who is going to go to heaven and who is going to go to hell. Uh, God is all powerful, and therefore it's been decided by God in advance, and he is going to positively predestine some souls to heaven and positively predestine some souls to hell. Okay? That's when you get fixed on one element of the truth, which is, of course, what, uh, what John Calvin did in that heresy of double predestinationism. Um, but you could do that with anything. And that's what uh, you could call nowadays, what we tend to call nowadays, an ideology. So an ideology is when you take one part of the truth and you make it into the whole truth. So the... Uh, communists for example will take one part of the truth which is that uh, material things have a great influence on us and can motivate many of our actions and then they say well that's what explains everything or somebody could say well poverty is is a bad thing uh, poverty is what explains all evils in the world if only we could eradicate poverty or uh, racism or whatever it might be, then we will be happy. But the mistake that all of these people make is that the truth is, is a whole. It's the whole thing. And that's why a heresy in the uh, Catholic sense will be taking one Catholic dogma and then forgetting about all the rest. So in this case, when we're talking about the honor given to the saints, And to Mary, Our Lady, uh, the truth that you can take and then take out of context, if you like, is that Scripture quite clearly tells us, and we know, that all honour is to be given to God alone. And we know this from St. Paul to, to Timothy. We know this also from the Church's liturgy. So, in the Glorianic Chelsea's Deo, which is the beautiful hymn recited at, towards the beginning of many masses, we say, thou alone art God, thou alone art Lord, thou alone art holy, Jesus Christ. And so, you could take that and say, well, if that's true, if it's, if it's true that God alone deserves all honour, then it is forbidden to show honour to others. And that could be seen as quite a a logical conclusion. But because the faith uh, requires what's called the analogy of the faith, which simply means that all elements of the truth have to be taken together and to be understood correctly. So, for example, if we go back to uh, predestination, so the idea that some Protestants had that because God is all-powerful, therefore it is he who decides uh, who goes to hell. So it's it's not uh, there's nothing you can really do about it if God has decided that you're going to go to hell. The part that they're forgetting is that, well, there's also free will. So in other words, if you have a man who is placed on this earth, it's true that if he is sent to hell, it will be by God's power, and God always knew that he would be sent to hell, but it was his decision because he misused his free will and persevered in a state of mortal sin, even unto death. Uh, As regards the honor due to God, well, what is due to God is the honor which belongs to God. Uh, As the prophet Isaiah said, that I am God, I will not give my honor to any graven image or to any idol. Uh, God is a jealous God. Uh, to be jealous means not that you're envious. God is not is not envious. To be envious would be when I see uh, that you're driving a brand new Mercedes, uh, Andrew, and I'm envious. I would like to have a Mercedes too. Jealousy is when I'm driving a Mercedes and I don't want you to have one because then you'd be detracting from my uh, prestige as the the big Mercedes driver. So God is not envious, but he is jealous, which means that he will not share the honour which is due to him as God with anyone else. And uh, he cannot because no one else is God. And so... Once that is clear, is it possible for honor to be shown to others? And as we will see in the course of our discussion, uh, that a lesser honor, that is not the honor which is due to God, can of course be shown to the creatures whom God himself has uh, given a claim, let's say, to honor no divine honor can be shown to creatures to do so is clearly idolatry but other honor can indeed be shown to creatures and that's what the definition of the faith is going to do because when we talk about a definition of the faith uh, to define etymologically and literally means to draw the border so to draw a line so if you're for example uh Having a bit of a dispute with your neighbor regarding where exactly the boundary is between your property and their property. Well, what you're going to do is you're going to go back to the uh, initial lot grants or whatever it is, and you're going to draw a line. And then you say, well, one inch to the west of this line, that's my property. One inch to the west of, to the east of the line, that's your property. And so then everybody knows clearly where the line is. And that's exactly what the definition of the faith does. So if you take a, another example, uh, people nowadays, you know, they they perhaps look at the at the Pope and they say, my goodness, what he has said is, uh, it's not the Catholic faith. So a particular thing which he has said, for example, that uh, good atheists go to heaven, okay, they could only, in fact, go to heaven if those atheists died no longer being atheists. So in a sense, they could be good atheists in the way that the good thief uh, went to heaven, but he was no longer a thief, and the atheist would no longer be an atheist. So people say, well, how is this possible? How is this possible that the Pope would say something like that? Some people then will go to the conclusion, oh, he's not the Pope. But actually, the providence of God has made it, that in 1870, the first Vatican Council drew a line and said the Pope is infallible only under these four conditions. And if those four conditions are not there, then he's not infallible. And so now we know where the line is. And so if those four conditions are not, uh, are not actually fulfilled, well, that means that yes, he can err. And so when it comes to to the topic for discussion today, which is the honor due to the saints praying to the saints, where is the line? And we're going to see that the line is that divine honor can only be given to God, what we commonly call adoration. God only can be adored, but a different type of honor can be given to creatures depending on uh, their entitlement to it. So that's uh, sort of like the introduction I'd like to to give to to our discussion today, Andrew. Um, I don't know if that's clear.
0: Yeah, no, it, it is, and it, it's interesting because I, I hadn't thought about that before. That that every heresy is is someone taking one aspect of of the faith and saying this is what I'm going to base everything off of. It's uh it's it's interesting, and, it, and my brain has been whirling as you've been talking about it, and it absolutely makes sense. Um, it's like you know. Uh, Martin Luther, with the idea of, I mean, it was all based on scruples. It was all based on, uh, you know, that he is unlovable. And from there, everything else followed. Maybe that's a right. poor analogy, but.
1: Yep. No, no, absolutely. Go back to Arius uh, Christ is man. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, Christ is man. Well, if he's man, then he can't be God. Well, no, he's man and he's God. And that's a mystery, but it's not contradictory. And you have to hold those two things together. And that's what it means to be Catholic. Catholic it means universal. And a Catholic is someone who denies none of the truth. That's a Catholic. Okay. sure. Okay, so let's uh, get into a little bit then the whole concept of the worship of the saints or the honor due to the saints. Just on a linguistic matter, uh, okay. worship is an old English word. Which simply means honor. So to honor someone means to show them uh, to witness to the fact that they have a certain excellence. okay? So for example, when you get hauled up in court next week uh, for you know exceeding the speed limit or wherever it is, you're going to address the judge as your honor. But in certain parts of the world, they actually address them as your worship. Um, same thing. It's honor, worship, uh, two words which mean the same thing. But there are different kinds of honor. And there is a kind of honor which is due to God alone. Because God alone is the creator. God alone is the ruler of the universe. God alone is all good. St. Thomas Aquinas actually uh, explains, uh, as he does, he explains pretty much everything, but he explains that... Honour is given to someone for three reasons. So one reason is because uh, they are the origin of your existence. So, for example, honour your father and your mother. That's the fourth commandment. And uh, why is that? Well, because they give you life. Uh, Cursed be the man who says to his father, why did you beget me? Okay, so it's you have to honour Uh, Him from whom your life came and her from whom your life came. Another reason for honor is because of someone's knowledge. Okay, so someone is very uh, knowledgeable in the truth. And so we tend to honor uh, those who are very wise, for example. Uh, Another reason would be because of someone's power. Uh, Here in Canada, uh, Justin Trudeau is known as the Honorable Justin Trudeau. Is he, in fact, honourable? Well, yes, because he does, in fact, have the authority which has been bestowed on him ultimately by God. Doesn't mean that he's uh, a saint, but that's a certain reason for honour. That's the reason why you should respect the police officer in the street. It's because he does participate in the authority which comes from God. Clearly, your parents also uh, would participate in that. And then, because of somebody's virtue, Somebody's is uh, very good, very holy, uh, very virtuous. That is a reason to honor them. Now, you can see that uh, God has all of those things. He is the principle from whom we come. He's the origin of the universe. He is all-knowing. He is all-powerful. All authority comes from him. He is all good. And that's why God uh, merits the supreme honor Uh, which we call uh, adoration. But you can see how a human being, because God does not hoard up all goodness for himself and say, oh, you human beings, you don't need to do anything, God governs the universe by delegating his power and by delegating his responsibility. So... God could have simply created all human beings in the same way as he created Adam, but he didn't. He created Adam and Eve, and then he said, now you go and increase and multiply. And the shocking (laughs) or surprising thing about that is that when God actually gives that power and that authority, then he takes his hands off and he lets you go and do it. So God does not intervene every time that a parent uh, makes a bad parenting decision. Uh, God has has delegated this responsibility and he actually has delegated the responsibility um, same thing the the wisdom the knowledge of God is participated in by creatures uh, the virtue of God the uh, the virtue of human beings is something which is also worthy of honor and so you see clearly that honor is Due to God is at a, a superior level because He is God, but then creatures also can have honor based on some participation in the uh, in the greatness of God. Now, this honor uh, we're talking about as given to the saints. Okay, so what is a saint? So a saint is someone who is holy. That's what it means to be a saint. As sanctus means holy, and God alone is the all holy. When Isaiah saw the vision of God in the temple in uh, Isaiah chapter six, he heard the angels uh, singing, "Holy, holy, holy," and some person who is not God can be called holy insofar as uh, they share in the life of God. And the life of God is called uh, the supernatural life, which is communicated to us by sanctifying grace. The grace which makes us share in God's life. And we know that the apostles referred to the first Christians as saints. So St. Paul writes, to the saints who are at Corinth, for example, Uh, that means those who are sharing God's life because they have been redeemed by the Redeemer from the kingdom of Satan, and they are now saints. So the saints could be either here on earth, and of course no one can say for certain here on earth, uh, who is in the state of grace. We can have a fair idea. So you, in your own conscience, Will know whether or not you have uh, repented of, you know, hypothetical mortal sin that you committed. Let's say, you know, yesterday I stole, you know, a million dollars. And, um, you know, if, I'm a, if I've am got that a million dollars sitting in my back pocket and I'm planning to spend it tonight, well, I know I'm, I'm not a saint. I'm, a, I'm in a state of mortal sin. Or it could be I repented, gave back the money, I went to the sacrament of penance. And I am now, as far as I know, my conscience uh, witnesses that I am in the state of grace. But ultimately, God knows. And a saint could be in the next life also. Because after death, those, uh, those people who die in the state of friendship with God, the state of sanctifying grace, they are the saints. And these saints, according to the book of the Apocalypse, sometimes called the book of Revelation, According to the apocalypse, these saints are too many to number. So when the vision is given of the 144,000, 12,000 of each of the tribes of Israel, and then St. John saw a crowd of all nations and of all tongues, which no man could number. And these are the saints. So is it uh, allowable to give honor to the saints? In other words, because of their their goodness, because of their um, proximity to God, because of their imitating of God's holiness, may we give honor to them? And the answer is fairly simple. That uh, Let's have a look in sacred scripture and tradition and see what what actually happens. So in sacred scripture and tradition, we see that um, honor is given by God to the saints. And you know how it works, that if the boss honors someone, well, then everybody else should honor them as well. So uh, if if the king says, I'm going to honor uh, Bob because Bob was extremely valiant in battle, then he actually uh, gives a decoration to Bob and then everybody else honors Bob as well. So let's have a quick look through sacred scripture, and we see that the patriarchs, for example, showed honor to the angels. So Abraham, when he met the three angels which were on their way to Sodom in Genesis chapter 18, the scripture tells us that he adored them to the ground. Mm. Now, adoration, I I just mentioned, is that we use that word adoration uh, specifically in connection with God. But you could understand it as a more general uh, honor as well. So uh, as an inferior type of of honor. The same thing when the angels came to Sodom, uh, Lot was waiting there. And he went, and scripture tells us he worshipped prostrate to the ground. Joshua, when he saw the archangel Michael in Joshua chapter 5, he fell on his face to the ground and he worshipped it. Okay, so this, remember, worship means honor. This is the honor which the saints of the Old Testament, the holy men such as Abraham and Joshua, are showing to uh, the angels of God. And God himself tells us in 1 Kings, uh, so you remember that uh, it's, there's a little bit of a, uh, there can be a little bit of a uh, difficulty in in uh, enumerating the books of the Bible. So uh, traditionally, Catholics using the Vulgate will have four books of Kings, but the uh, Protestant Bible uh, rather refers to the first two books of Kings as First and Second Samuel, and then what we call Three and Four Kings, they call One and Two Kings. So it can be a little okay. bit confusing. So I'm talking about One Kings, which is One Samuel, and God says in chapter two. Whosoever shall glorify me, him will I glorify. Okay, so if you give honor to me as God, then I also will give honor to you. Just as our Lord said that if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father who is in heaven. Just a quick explanation: What is glory, uh, Andrew? This is not a I'm not trying to put you on the uh, on the spot here, but we we often hear about glory. So. Glory is when you make known the greatness of another. okay, okay. So uh, my team uh, won the uh, the football uh, cup in the uh, in the state last year and then when we came home there was a big parade and it was glorious. Everybody knew how good we were because uh, it, it was known that we were good. So the glory of God, is when it is known and made uh, made manifest to everyone how great God is. That's why the Psalm says that the heavens show forth the glory of God. When you look at the heavens, the stars, the planets, you say, my goodness, uh, God is great. So, um, <clears throat> honor, if you like, is what when we witness to somebody's excellence by our actions. A praise is when you do it with your words, so we praise God. You're witnessing to his greatness uh, through words. And then glory is when it is known to others that uh, God is good and God is great. Okay. Um, Psalm 138. This is the uh, the psalmist David who says, To me, thy friends, O God, are made exceedingly honorable. Okay. So that means uh, the friends of God are not God. But to me, they are made honorable because they are like God. And a final quote from Scripture right now, our Lord himself says that, any man minister to me, him will my father honor. Okay, so the honor which is shown to uh, a creature based on his closeness or his goodness to God. Now, the thing is that um, you could say, well, yeah, but this is going to fall into... uh, into some sort of 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 idolatry you know it's it's going to go too far and there's a danger that some creature is going to receive an honor which is due to god alone and this has happened it has happened in the past around the time of saint uh, epiphanius which i think was around the fourth century of our era uh, there was a sect of christians and it's always interesting to look at the sects of the Christians because the sects are condemned by the church, then that means that the church does not agree with their false doctrine. So if the church condemns the sect which, uh, which gives the honor due to God to, to creatures, then that means the church does not agree with giving the honor due to God to creatures. If the church condemns the sect of the Manichaeans, uh, which the Manichees said that all material things were were bad, then well, you can't accuse the church of being Manichaean then, because it condemns it. Even if there are people who 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 may go in that direction, that is not what the church uh, approves. That that is being defined. The line has been drawn to show that that's not okay. And so. This sect, uh, whose name escapes me at the moment, but they were offering uh, sacrificial uh, offerings to Mary. Okay? Mm -hmm. So what happened then? Well, the church came along and said, no, Mary is not God. Interestingly, as an aside, there's a sect today uh, in uh, Spain called the Palmer Detroit sect, and they have... Uh, recently or supposedly defined that Mary is in fact God. Okay, so, uh. Uh, you know, <laughs> uh, okay. that's, uh, no, that that is a heresy. That's wrong. Mary is not God. Uh, so St. Epiphanius, who was uh, there and then, so he had this famous uh, quotation, which if you like is the line which is draw. And he said, let Mary be held in honor, let the father son and holy ghost be adored but let no one adore mary okay that's the line and you know the thing about a line is once you've drawn the line you're free okay once once you actually drew that line between your property and your neighbor's property then your children were free to play as much as they wanted because you had now effects there okay before that you were always afraid that the kids are going to be uh Putting the balls over onto the neighbor's property and that he was going to be coming over complaining, you put up a fence, don't worry about it anymore. The same thing with the honor due to the saints, the honor due to Mary. Once you put up that line and you say the honor due to God is for God alone, and honor, lesser honor, can be given to creatures who merit it because of their closeness to God, then you're free. Okay, you don't cross the line, you're you're good. Let me explain the different types of honor, because there are names on the different types of honor, and this is the thing, or one of the things that actually converted the famous author uh, Graham Greene. Uh, Graham Greene was uh, an English author of the 20th century. Uh, I'm not saying that all of his books are recommendable, but it is a fact that he was he was a uh, you know effectively uh, an atheist well he was he was a non-believer let's say and uh, he um he he was you know lamenting the fact that the catholics engage in uh, saint worship etc and a young woman wrote to him and explained to him that there is a difference between latria dulia and hyperdulia and he was absolutely enthralled that she had taken the trouble to write to him that there actually was a rational explanation for the honor due to the saints. That's the thing about the Catholic faith, is because it is the true faith, everything fits together. There is nothing which is unreasonable. There are things which go beyond our reason, what we call the mysteries of religion, but there is nothing which is contrary to our reason. That's one of the, the signs for the person who is of good faith and looking for the truth to see that it all fits together uh you're not going to believe your philosophy of life unless it all makes sense and it all makes sense in the gathering fits so he uh he was enthralled by this and here is the difference is that latria is the honor which is due to god alone the honor of adoration we've spoken about that and then the inferior honor which is given to the saints, that is the friends of God, uh, that is called dulia, D-U-L-I-A, and then hyperdulia means the honour which is given to Mary. It's not latria, which is the adoration given to God alone, but because Mary is the greatest of the saints, then a a preeminent type of honour is given to her. But I said, epiphanius said she is not to be adored that would be the sin of idolatry so some protestants i think or some people they, they they fear that if you honor mary too much then that's going to stop you from going to jesus and they're going to to say well sacred scripture tells us that there is one mediator there is one mediator between god and man the man christ jesus and so, if you, I suppose I'm going ahead of myself a little bit here, but if you pray to Mary, then that means that you're you're imposing another mediatrix between God and man. And the, the short answer to that is, is that there's one mediator between God and man who was able to reconcile God and man, and that is Jesus Christ. Okay. Okay? But... Once you have that mediator, then there are also secondary mediators who, are on their own, will not be able to reconcile God and man. Mary, on her own, without Christ, cannot reconcile God and man. But just as in the fall, by the disobedience of Adam all sinned, well, he was aided by Eve. So also in the redemption, by the obedience of the second Adam, Jesus Christ, all were saved. Well, he was aided by what the earliest fathers of the church call the second Eve. It's God uh, deigns to unite us with the greatest of his works, creation and redemption. And that is why when you say that, well, the saints are are mediators and we'll see that God uh, does not have a problem with that, according to sacred scripture. Um the saints are mediators, yeah, but they're not the mediator. And mm-hmm. they cannot be the mediator, because only Jesus Christ is the mediator. But they are the uh the friends of Christ, the uh the secondary mediators with it. I have a uh, a
0: bit of a devil's advocate, Father, if you have a moment while we're on Please. speaking on the uh the quote unquote worship of, of Mary or the hyperdulia. I was in, in preparation, I, I looked up a bunch of uh, Protestant Lutheran texts on what they say about what you just said, Father. Um, okay. and, I, and I found an interesting quote from a, a Lutheran blog. They said, um, the worship of Mary is obvious in popular Roman Catholicism, even though the Catholic Church denies that they do this. Uh, they continue, the distinction between Latria and Dulia and Hyperdulia is simply theological word game and sophistry. They are deceived. So, what you're saying makes sense. That there are different levels of of uh, again latria, adulia, hyperdulia. But a Protestant would say, and he is saying, um, that this is just a word game. You're just you shouldn't be praying to anyone outside of God. It's just you're just trying to co- cover yourself. Uh, how would you respond to that, Father?
1: Okay, um, I I think that. Um... You are playing a word game when you pretend that there is a difference simply because you use different words. So, for example, when I, uh, I say uh, abortion, and I say, no, no, let's not call it abortion, let's call it reproductive healthcare. Or here in Canada, uh, I heard recently a news report where it, it said that uh, somebody had referred to quote-unquote euthanasia to refer to medical assistance in dying, okay. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. so in other words, what what is the truth? Is euthanasia? I said no, 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 no. Let's call it medical assistance in dying because that's a much nicer term. I mean, I suppose the the neck plus ultra of this, of course, is is twenty years ago uh, the uh, euphemism "extraordinary rendition" to uh, to refer to the uh, tactics of uh, of the American military regarding uh, people they brought to Guantanamo Bay. So it's it's a wonderful euphemism, I must say, but is there actually a difference between that and abducting somebody you want to keep in in prison? Enhanced interrogation also. Exactly. exactly. So that's word games, but here you're taking a genus because you know how you make, uh, how you make a definition. So the way to make a definition is you take a genus and then you add a specific difference. So, when Aristotle says that man is a rational animal, he takes the genus animal, which refers to a sentient living thing. Okay. People often refer to sentient these days to mean intelligent. It's not, doesn't mean intelligent. Sentient means that you have, uh, senses, that you have, uh, senses you're able to feel. That's sentient. So he takes animal and then he says, well, what's the specific difference between man and all other animals? Well, the specific difference is that he's rational. That's the definition of man. It's a different thing. We have a different name for it. And so here, when you have the distinction between Latria, Dulia, and Hyperdulia, you're taking a genus, which is worship, which means honor, and honor is defined as witnessing to a person's excellence, and you're saying... Okay, well, what's the specific difference between the honor which is given to God, which we call Latria? Well, the specific difference is that he is given honor as the creator and the ruler of the universe, the source of all goodness, all powerful, all the attributes of God. And then the specific difference between honor in general and, uh, and Dulia. So, what makes Dulia is that this is given. To someone who is not the creator of the universe, who is not the redeemer of the world, who is not uh, all powerful, all knowledgeable, but who shares in God's excellence in some way, and I would throw back at the uh, at the um, Lutheran uh, theologian that you're you're quoting there is well, would you in good faith give honor to a living human being? Okay, so for example, if you uh, if you meet the uh, the King of Canada, for example, Charles Third, uh, would you bow to him? Uh, if you're invited to the White House, uh, presumably you're going to have to engage in some sort of etiquette before Joe Biden. Would you do that? But if right. you do, you are giving the honor to a creature which you're claiming is due to God alone. So the honor given to the saints is something which is given to a creature, but simply because of some excellence he has, which in fact comes from God. And so you could say that all honor given to, to creatures, provided it be based on a true reason, is ultimately given to God. And you can you can actually see this in sacred scripture, uh, how uh, God himself uh, gives honor to the, uh, to the saints. One great example, I think, is in the book of Job, so you remember how the Book of Job, uh, which uh, which is you know extremely extremely interesting uh, book, uh, needs to be read very slowly, preferably with a commentary. But after it's all over and the conclusion has come that Job has not sinned terribly, and he is suffering even though he does not really deserve it. Okay, and in that, of course, Job is a is a, is a type of our blessed Lord. But after it's all over, God is not happy with the three friends. So the three friends uh, are going to have to do something to make up. And God says to them, um, you know, you're going to go and get seven oxen and seven rams and go to my servant Job and get Job to pray for you and I will listen to him. Okay, I'm not going to listen to you. Why? Because you're not you're not particularly my friends right now. Uh, because you have, uh, you've, uh, misjudged and misquoted my, my goodness and my justice and my mercy. But Job, I will listen to him or the honor which is, uh, given to the, to the saints. Uh, God says to Jacob, for example, I will bless thee and all nations, uh, will be blessed. Why for my servant Abraham's sake. Or Moses, who uh who honors uh uh or Elias, I mean many of the patriarchs, says, Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So the uh the, the thing there is that I think what the Protestants can come from is that they're very uh uncomfortable in general with any sort of material worship. Okay. Right. So you go to many uh Protestant um, churches, and there's there's going to be no statues, there's no stained glass. I mean, it depends on the Protestant uh, denomination, of course. But it's the again, it's taking something out of context, or taking something out of proportion when it says, "Well, our Lord said that God is to be worshipped in spirit and in truth." Say, well, if God is to be worshipped in spirit, then away with these material things. God alone is to be worshipped. Therefore, let's not give honor to any creatures. But God did not in fact say that.
0: Okay, that makes sense. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. So, where, what would you like to tackle next, Father? We've we've been talking a little bit about uh, about this idea of quote unquote Mariolatry. Uh, is there still some more to cover there, or do we want to get into the uh, the uh, iconoclastic controversies.
1: Yes. I mean, we could just finish up a little bit on mariolatry Tree in sure. saying that commonly uh, it's said, well, devotion to Mary is kind of like a holdover from paganism because uh, in paganism, of course, you have goddesses. You have the, the mm-hmm. whole pantheon of gods and goddesses. And so uh, after the pagans converted... Then uh, you know, later on, uh, this worship of Mary, so honor given to Mary, hyperdulia if you like, um, that's just a holdover from paganism. And then also, uh, Protestant critics will say, well, if you look at the history, this honor given to Mary was not really present in the first centuries. So let's simply point out there is that those two things are really contradictory. Because if it's a holdover from paganism, then it's going to be present. In the first centuries, when in fact all the converts had been pagans, rather yeah. than suddenly appearing many centuries later. In fact, it's something completely different, is that the 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 pagans, so they um, invent gods. Of course, there's a, there's a certain um, that's a good side of mythology. Uh, in, in the summarism, myth is something that the the pagans used to try to explain reality. And there was was a sort of a healthy mythology. And then there's a sort of very dark mythology, which is uh, really uh, fault gods that really were demons. Um, This this is something which all paganism is effectively a mixture of the two, but some paganism is worse than others. Some paganism is less bad than others. Uh, The thing about the Catholic faith is that it is the truth. Catholic means universal. The Catholic faith is that which Jesus Christ came into the world, not abolishing anything true which already existed, okay, not an ideology coming along and saying, ah, if only we can have uh, complete and utter equality, then all the problems of the world will be uh, sorted out. Okay, No, the, the truth actually comes along and says, okay, everything that was true is still true. But here is the uh, precise truth which you need to make your way to heaven to save your soul and so the devotion to mary is entirely different from paganism because it's not worshipping her as a goddess it is honoring her for what she actually is that is the mother of god and for honoring her for what she is that is the one pure human person Jesus Christ, you remember, is not a human person. He's a divine person who has a human nature. She's a human person. The one human person who is all pure, uh, all uh, all beautiful in every way. But she's not God. And you see how there's, once you draw that line, there's freedom. So sometimes uh, people who are looking in from the outside on the Catholic faith, they're kind of looking in on the wall which uh, the Definitions of the faith have, have built up around the truth, and they're looking in and they're seeing the May processions where statues of Our Lady are bringing brought down the streets, and flowers are thrown in front of her, and grown men are going to kneel down and cry in front of the statue of Our Lady, and they're saying, "What is this paganism?" But what they don't understand, in a sense, you know, I'm not blaming them for not understanding. But what they don't understand is that it's not paganism at all, because you go and ask that person, are you worshipping God? They say, of course not. They know exactly what they're doing. And uh, and so that's why Mary... It's kind of difficult to see the truth of the Catholic Church when you're on the outside, because there's so much uh, garbage, let's say, that's been built up over the centuries that it's it's hard to go through You need to actually go in there and you need to to experience it as it were and say, oh, okay, so this is what it is. Anyway, let's get on to the whole statue and picture worship thing. Sure. uh, Because that's another important thing is that, well, why do we honor pictures, so to speak? So you go into any Catholic church um, and you're going to find statues of Our Lady St. Joseph, the saint um of the church, etc. And you're gonna say, well, candles are burning in front of the statue. What does all this mean? Well, it's very, very simple, uh, really. It's um you know, if you're uh in your home, uh you may have some pictures, photographs of people, and uh let's say you've got a a photograph of your wife that you, you bring with you. And do you honor that photograph? Do you perhaps look at it? Maybe even, uh, you know, perhaps even kiss it. Is what are you doing there? So, what one thing you're not doing is you're not honoring a piece of paper. What you're doing is you're 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 taking something which represents something else, and you're honoring that other thing. It's the same reason why uh, the flag is not just um, something which was. Put together of different types of material different colors it actually means something else it's a sign of something else so that's what the statue is or that's what the picture is when uh, a person is showing honor to the statue or to a picture that's what's called relative honor in other words it's because of something else Uh, when i treat the flag of the country with honor it's not because it's made of cotton, okay? It's not the material thing I'm, I'm honoring at all. It's what it represents, okay? And people who, who doubt that, they're people who have not understood anything about human beings, okay? For human beings, all the important things are hidden, okay? You, you're looking at, uh, at another human being, the most important bit is what you can't see, and in all the things which human beings do, if you take out the uh, the mystery, let's say, the mystery in the sense of the sign of something which is hidden, okay, that's the mystery. If you take that away, you, you understand nothing. And that's what it means to honor a statue or a picture. It's because of what it represents. Now, iconoclasm comes in here, um, but before I get there, there's an important scriptural thing to to uh, to look at, which is that it's quite clearly given in the old law, in the Mosaic law, Exodus chapter 20, verse 4, uh, Thou shalt not make to thyself a graven thing, nor the likeness of anything that is in heaven, above, or in the earth beneath, nor of those things that are in the waters under the earth. And that's in connection with the first commandment. I am the Lord thy God, Thou shalt not have strange gods before me. Okay, the first and the most important commandment, really—that's why it's it's the first. It is that the true God is God, and nobody else is to be honored or adored like Him. Okay. So, is this then not still the case? I mean, are we are we not being disobedient to God's law when we uh, make graven things, or we have? Pictures now. If that is the case, you know we we are we would have to go full Muslim on this. You know the Muslims do not have uh, pictures, Um, so in their mosques they have just abstract art. Okay, so we'd have to get rid of photographs as well because a photograph is the likeness of a thing that is in heaven or on the earth. So all photographs have to go, etc. In fact, this podcast, uh, what I think come under the censure of the law because people are looking at pictures of us. And in fact, uh, you know, between you and me, the world might be a lot healthier if all videos were uh, were, were uh, banned <laughs> sure. nowadays, but that might put you out of a job, so uh, yeah. I'm going to suggest <laughs> that. But anyway, let's, let's uh, seriously, uh, this is part of the old law and it's important in the old law, that is the law given to Moses... To distinguish three elements in the old law there is the natural law which is the uh, law of nature that is the way that a thing has to uh, conduct itself based on its very nature so the natural law is effectively the ten commandments man by his nature must worship god must respect god must respect his parents must respect his neighbor and his various uh, rights. Okay, If you don't do that, then there are going to be serious problems down the road. Just like if you don't uh, respect the nature of your flying car, that you should not overload it when it's up in the air, then it's going to crash. Why? Because you're not respecting its nature. There's a second part of the Mosaic Law, which is the Civil Law. Because remember, at that time, uh, before the first king, the people of Israel were a theocracy, and God enacted the civil law. And that's why in the civil law, it says, for example, that what the punishment is to be for certain offenses. So, uh, for example, the punishment uh, for a a man who is a wizard is that he's to be put to death. That's because a wizard... Is someone who is in league with Satan. Of course, you have to prove that he's a wizard. Yeah, you can't. Uh, you can't just say, "Well, I'm saying that Andrew's a wizard." Let's put him to death. Also, has to be proven, etc. Okay. Uh, third part of the mosaic law is the ceremonial law, the liturgical law, which is there to prepare the people for the coming of the Savior. This is the sacrifices in the temple, daily sacrifice, the annual feasts, etc. Now, the first part of that law, the natural law, is still in existence because it's the law of nature. And it will always be in existence and always was before the giving of the law to Moses. It was spelt out on two tablets of stone so that there could be no confusion about it. Because if it had not been revealed, the natural law, you and I could argue and say, well, maybe it's okay to bear false witness against your neighbor in certain circumstances. Okay, and we to and who's to say I'm right and you're wrong, or you're right and I'm wrong? So in the end, God said, "No, there was no doubt about this. I'm graving it on stone. This is the natural law, and 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 uh, if we uh, accept that, little bit of uh, advice to any politician in the world whatsoever. First step to peace: get the natural law and keep it. Yeah, that's that's gonna help you out so much. Okay, but the other two parts of the law do not exist anymore they are not in force when jesus christ was crucified the veil of the temple was rent from the top even to the bottom the old testament is over christ said at the new testament this is the blood of the new and eternal testament and so the old law does not oblige so you say well what about this uh interdiction about making graven things or the likeness of anything that is in heaven is that part of the natural law or is that part of the ceremonial law and the answer is it's not part of the natural law because god himself uh, says elsewhere in sacred scripture for the chosen people to make these graven things okay so people say the commandment is thou shalt not kill and you say that capital punishment is not necessarily uh, wrong. Okay, how do you how do you manage to uh, to put those two things together? Because capital punishment is killing. And the answer is, well, we know that the commandment does not prohibit capital punishment because God lays down capital punishment in certain circumstances in the old civil law. It doesn't mean that we have to. Follow slavishly the old civil law. In fact, we don't have to because it's not in force. But we know that it can't be necessarily wrong. And so, in the uh, in the ceremonial law, God says, for example, to Moses, five chapters later. Okay, so five chapters after thou shalt not make a graven thing, he says, thou shalt make two cherubims of beaten gold. Okay, a cherubim is an angel. Where is he going to put these cherubims? He's going to put them over the propitiatory in the temple. And I will speak to you from the midst of the two cherubims. Okay? Or, as we see later in the prophet Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 41, there were cherubims and palm trees wrought. So that a palm tree was between a cherub and a cherub. Every cherub had two faces. The face of a man was towards the palm tree on one side, and the face of a lion towards the other. Okay, so... God says, do not make graven images. And then God says, do make graven images. So how do you, this is going to be something for the atheist then. It's like, oh yeah, sacred scripture is just a of rubbish because it's all contradictory. It's not contradictory at all. God is saying, in connection with thou shalt not have strange gods, God is saying, do not make any graven images so that you do not fall into the temptation of idolatry. As all the pagans do. Because you know how people operate. Yeah. It's well everybody's doing it. So let's do it as well. But when there's no danger of idolatry. Then you can go ahead. And you can make the two cherubims And you can make the face of the man. And the face of the lion. And so in the New Testament. The New and Eternal Testament. When Christ has opened up the gates of heaven. And it is clear from the very beginning. Of the church that christ alone is god but that all christians are other christs saint augustine says that christianos alter christus well then they too are to be honored but with a different honor and then the danger of idolatry in the uh, catholic church is effectively non-existent in this new dispensation uh, clearly, Catholics can become idolaters, and they're no, no longer Catholics, they're going to be uh, excommunicated, uh, but that's why it is not, in fact, forbidden, uh, according to uh, according to sacred scripture, it is not forbidden in the new law to have uh, images of the saints. Now, all of this really <laughs> caused a lot of controversy in the 8th century, uh, Andrew, which was the whole iconoclast movement. Now, the iconoclast movement really uh, was that there are to be uh, no more images in our churches. Mm -hmm. And the great iconoclast, or the first one, first great iconoclast, was the emperor of the Eastern Empire, so in uh, Constantinople, uh, Leo III. And he figured out that not only were there certain excesses of uh, honor given to the the images of the saints which is quite possible because human beings are able to fall into all sorts of excesses but also he figured that these images were an obstacle to conversion for the Jews and the Muslims because the Jews who hold the old law and the Muslims who uh, spurn any images they would not accept this and so he uh, decided that he was going to conduct a war on images and uh, to go long story short in the year 787 there was a council held which is the seventh ecumenical council so ecumenical uh, means east and west the first ecumenical council took place in Nicaea in 325 the seventh ecumenical council also took place in Nicaea in 787 and it drew the line and uh, defined what was acceptable in the honor given to images and so if you allow me i'm just going to quote briefly from the council so the council says that those who honor the images of our lord jesus christ god and savior and of our undefiled lady or holy mother of god and of the honorable angels and at the same time of all the saints and of holy men, for how much more frequently through the imaginal formation that they are seen, so much more quickly are those who contemplate these raised to the memory and desire of the originals. Hmm. So, I see a statue of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm a man. I'm not an angel. Angels communicate by means of immaterial ideas. Men communicate by words and by pictures, and we know uh, in the world in which we live that there's nothing better than a picture to arouse somebody. So that's how all our advertising works. Yeah, that's how all propaganda works. It's it's not enough to just get the words out there. It's the picture, okay. And so this is why the council says is that we can honor these because the honor of the image, I'm quoting from the council, the honor of the image passes to the original. And he who shows reverence to the image shows reverence to the substance of him depicted in it. So if I show honor to the picture of uh, my father or I show honor to the picture of my wife, it's not the picture, it's Mm. the original from uh, of whom this is simply an image and so that's how um the honor given to the uh, saints or to the images of the saints is not idolatry either it is a relative honor and it's something which our human nature requires when we say well we need to worship god in spirit and in truth our lord jesus christ said that he doesn't say in spirit Exclusive of anything material. And in fact, we see him when he prays doing material things such as raising his hands, raising his arms, uh, kneeling on his knees, etc. And he himself saying, uh, you remember the time that the um, the woman came and said, your, your, your mother and your brethren are outside. Now, brethren in the language of the scripture means from a common ancestor. It doesn't mean uh, the children of Mary, because Mary was a virgin before, during, and after our Lord's birth. Uh, It was his cousins. Like in Africa today, uh, everybody's referred to as brother. You know, people, even in in North America, people go up to you and say, hey, brother. um, And they're, yeah, we're, we're somehow related. It's true. Anyway, our Lord said, who is my father and mother and brethren? he who does the will of my father in heaven, he is my mother and brother and sister. Mm. He didn't say he was my father. I'm misquoting there because of course he does have a divine father, but he does not have a, a, a mother in heaven. His mother was born on earth and she will be honored because of her closeness to him by means of doing God's will. So, that is the whole thing due to the honor of images. There's one last point I'd like to uh, catch up on, if that's okay, Andrew, and that is sure. praying to the states. Uh, Because that's another thing as well. Okay. You can say, well, I can honor someone who shares in God's greatness in some way, just like I honor the king or I honor the president or I honor the governor or I show respect to my parents which is commanded by God. I can see how an image is relative, but praying to the saints, surely prayer is for God alone. And here, once again, of course, there is an element of truth. And the element of truth is that there is a fundamental difference between the prayer to God and prayer to the saints. Okay. The fundamental difference is that prayer, in fact, is defined as the raising of the mind to God. Okay, that's the definition of prayer, the raising of the mind to God. But when we talk about prayer to the saints, it's um, a different kind of prayer. It's asking them to intercede for us um, with God. And we I mean—we say that in English to a certain extent, When we, perhaps in old-fashioned English, when you say, you know, I pray thee, uh, please hold me excused. So I'm right. asking you to do me a favor. Hold me excused. I can't make it. Okay. So that's a prayer. So the thing there is you have to keep in mind that you can use the same words for some things which are not exactly the same. Okay. So, uh, there's a certain what's called analogy in the use of words. A uh, classic example. An animal is healthy. Your, uh, food is healthy. And your urine is healthy. Okay? We say all those three things. You get sure. your you get your uh your urine tested, and the doctor says no, it's healthy. Okay, well, how does that work? Because surely they're not all healthy in the same way. Right. That's called an allergy, is that there's one which is actually healthy, and that's the animal. Okay, the animal has a healthy body. The food is said to be healthy because it causes health in the animal. Okay, if you eat healthy food. It's not because the food is healthy. It's because it makes you healthy. And the urine is said to be healthy because it's a sign of health in the animal. Okay? That's called analogy. So when I say, for example, that I worship God and I worship the saints, it's not the same thing. Right. It's I worship God because he's God and I worship the saints with a lesser worship or honor because they participate in God in some way. Same thing uh, if you say, you know, God is good, and this pizza is good. (laughs) Well, some people will say, how can you say that the pizza is good? God alone is good. It's analogical. Any goodness in the pizza, in fact, comes from God, because all goodness comes from Him. But it's good in a very different way. And that's analogy. So when we're talking about prayer, the prayer to God is I pray to God by raising up my mind to him, and I ask him, for various boons, forgiveness for my sins, graces for the future. But I can also, in a different, though not completely different way, uh, ask the friends of God to intercede for me with him. And that's very clear in the prayer of the church. So when we pray to God, we say, have mercy on us, because Mm -hmm. God is he who can show mercy. Or we say, uh, graciously hear us. Or we say, um, spare us. Okay? But when we pray to Our Lady or the saints, we never say those things. We never say to Mary, have mercy on me. Or we never say to Mary, spare me, because she is not the monarch. She's the queen, but she is not the, uh, she's the queen because she is the spouse of the Holy Ghost, as All saints are, as scripture uh, shows us. She is the mother of God, the son, become man, Jesus Christ. So she is the queen, but she does not have all the power because she's not God. But she can intercede for us with God. So when we're praying to the saints, we say, pray for us, or we say, intercede for us. Mm -hmm. In other words, you can ask God because you're his friend. I, perhaps, am, I'm a sinner. Perhaps I've committed a mortal sin, God forbid. I am not in a state of friendship with God. I am not, I can, of course, ask him for mercy. But it may be more, uh, it may be better for me if someone who is in friendship with God asks for mercy for me. Now, once again, Scripture does not uh, show us that uh, the saints are not to be uh, prayed for. In fact, Scripture shows us the saints offering our prayers to God. In the book of Tobias, uh, Raphael, the angel, says that when you prayed with tears and you buried the dead and you left your dinner to bury the dead, I offered your prayers to God. Mm. Well, that would seem like Raphael's acting as a bit of an intermediary there. He's taking the prayers of Tobias and he's offering them to God. Or um, the saints can be uh, prayed to without injury to the fact of there's one mediator. New Testament examples: Romans chapter fifteen. Saint Paul says, "I beseech you, brethren, help me in your prayers for me to God." Okay. And Protestants do this all the time. I mean, Catholics do it sure. all the time. Say, "Pray for me." Yeah. Okay. Now, if you turn around to your Protestant friend and say, "Ah," you're putting in doubt the fact that there's only one mediator. Are you? Well, no, of course you're not. Because what you're saying is, you are a Christian. You can talk to God. Please pray for me. Or the Acts of the Apostles, when Peter was arrested, prayers were offered up without ceasing for him by the church. Uh, quick, uh, Quick other examples. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Brethren, pray for us, said Paul says. Um, Hebrews 13, 2 Thessalonians 3. Various uh, various, uh, reasons why um, we can pray, and it's not at all forbidden. It's not the same prayer as to God, whom we pray to as God. It's not the raising up of the mind directly to God, because clearly when you're speaking to a saint, um, that's not God. Mm-hmm. The question is, well, how do the saints know when you're praying to them? And the answer is, according to St. Thomas Aquinas, is that when you pray to God, he knows directly because he knows everything. He knows your interior movements. But the saints have the vision of the essence of God and they know all things in the Word. Or God can uh, choose to communicate to them. But it's true that uh, you, you can't just communicate with uh, an angel or a saint, without it going through God in some way. So there are other examples from from sacred scripture uh, there which um, I could go into, but uh, I just like to uh, I just like to give this quotation, if I may, from Saint uh, Gregory the Great uh, regarding images again. And uh, <laughs> Saint Gregory the Great says that images are in fact the books of the ignorant. Okay. Okay. In other words, not everybody can read, not everybody can have um, kind of access to the sacred scriptures, but the image of the nativity or the image of the annunciation or the crucifixion, they can speak and uh, they can open the faith uh, to a person who does not otherwise have access to the book.
0: It's beautiful. And those are, those are great reminders that far from being hindrances to adoration of God, they are, they're helps. They're, I mean, I was just reading an article about, you know, all the different symbols that are in each saint's depiction, you know, commonly, you know, uh, St. Barbara with the, the elements of her martyrdom, many of the saints are are shown with the elements of their martyrdom, et cetera. Uh, and, and there's a lot of richness there and, and it's too bad that uh, many, many other denominations just see that as something that takes away from God. To me, it adds to the the the, the glory
1: of God. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and I would, uh, you know, when we're talking about uh, de- Christian denominations, um, you know, it's important for them, let's say, to understand is that we're not sort of looking at them and say, you know, you're such evil people. No, okay. Uh, What we're saying is, is that you are missing the universality of the Christian faith because you've got fixated at some stage, you know, probably Mm -hmm. in the last 500 years if you're a Protestant, but at some stage you've got fixated on a partial truth to the exclusion of the rest. So how do you find it? Go back and read the fathers of the church. Yeah. Okay. Go back and read what they... Teachers of the faith from the 2nd, 3rd, 4th centuries have written, and you will find there the Catholic faith. Mm-hmm. And um, and be assured of our prayers for you to do so, because, you know, I'm only a Catholic because of the, the grace of God. I'm not uh, better than you because look at me, of course, I'm so great. Mm-hmm. It's only thanks to the grace of God, and that's why uh, it's people who are, who are genuinely looking for the truth our prayers are with you. And you will find it with God's help. Yes, absolutely,
0: Father Sherry. Thank you so much. I think we're going to have you back in about what five or six episodes, and you have the the duty, the privilege of wrapping up this whole entire apologetic series uh, with our final episode. So it's going to be, going to be quite nerve wracking. <laughs> well, I'm sure you'll do a great job, and and looking forward to it. So thank you again for your time, and uh, have a wonderful weekend.
1: Thank you very much, Andrew. God bless.
0: You too. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Apologetic Series on the SSPX podcast and on our YouTube page. Please consider subscribing to the YouTube account and the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever fine podcasts are found. And please consider leaving a rating or a review on this podcast. This will help to make sure more people can find this podcast and discover the beauty and the truth of traditional Catholicism. Until next time, thank you for joining us and God bless you.